Welcome to Ancient Answers, our program on dealing with current and modern challenges by referencing the words of ancient thinkers on dealing with similar matters of the human condition. I'm Shane. I'm Gordon. Welcome to Ancient Answers. Today's episode is all about taxes. Oh, taxes. <laughs> oh, we love talking about taxes, oh, don't we all? The favorite thing that everyone enjoys paying. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a gloomy topic. It was Napoleon, as I recall, who said there's only two things in, the, in life that are certainties, and one is death and yeah, taxes. taxes. <laughs> but that's true. We, we do today talk a lot about taxes. We have constantly with the news, we'll talk about tax policy and changes to taxes, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, that's true. Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about how the ancients dealt with taxes yeah. and how they saw them. Well, one thing about modern taxes, though, is we all do gripe about them, but it is where all of our social services come from. That's so true. let's take a moment and say that they, in theory, they are very beneficial for us. They have. I mean, we, we've actually learned through history the need for those kind of equalization payments in order to maintain stability in society mm-hmm. to kind of blunt the, uh, particularly the hard edge at the lower end of economics that. When people can suffer, the, yeah. the poverty, the poor, and people that are dealing with the transitions in our society, yeah. especially for jobs. There you go. So, there you go, federal government. We're putting in a good word for taxes now. <laughs> and as we are currently in a situation where, I mean, we, we were making these recordings during the uh, COVID-19 outbreak. COVID-19 outbreak, yeah. we recognize that taxes are going to be adjusted to deal with this situation as yeah. well. Yeah, so there you so go. So, tell us more about taxes. You found some really cool stuff, I understand. Yeah, so I found some uh, pretty interesting stuff about the Roman Republic, and we've mentioned, and this, this is something that's going to keep coming up as we do these recordings, is that we do want to look at a global view, but the Romans just left so many records, and there's a quote from the film V for Vendetta that the most reliable records of any government are tax records. So that's we true. have a lot of information. And I'll, after you address Rome, I will bring a little information what I discovered about ancient Sumeria and Babylon, and oh, how they dealt with taxes. There yep. you go, too, and I've got some stuff about China, so look at that, we are going to expand. We will be fine, yes. Good, good. So, uh, in the early days of the Roman Republic, it, they didn't actually do uh, an income tax like we do today. It was more on owned wealth and property. So That's right. It was typically 1%. It could climb to 3% in case of emergencies, like wartime. It was levied against, uh, like I said, wealth, not income. So, this is uh, any land that you had. Homes, real estate, slaves, animals. Um, income anything. generating revenue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So, not on what you'd made in the past year like we have now, but on what you, you owned, what you possessed. So, but in 167 BCE, the, um, Rome had expanded enough and had taken over provinces like Spain, for instance. And there was so much... There were so many rich resources, there was so much income coming in from the provinces that they decided to stop taxing the people of Italy itself. They didn't need to anymore. Yeah, so, I guess you're talking about silver mines. That's uh, exactly other, it, uh, yeah. Silver tin gold mines. mines. Yep. And, and then, of course, uh, later on they would occupy what we call Egypt. That's and right. And, of course, the, the enormous grain production of Egypt yep. that was there for literally centuries. Oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. It was the breadbasket of Rome. That's right. Yeah, so... Uh, so at that point, there were some changes made. So anyone who lived in Italy got a good break because, again, they were no longer taxed on what they owned. It all went out to the provinces. There was enough uh, enough resources out there. And now the way that the, way that the taxes were collected, um, it got a little bit barbaric compared to what we're used to. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, oh, yes. There was the, the, con- the contract system. That's right, exactly. And I remember you were telling me all about the Publicani. That's right. So, we, we, what they would do is the Roman government or the Roman leaders would uh, run auctions in different parts of their empire where men would come up and bid on 
assuring how much taxes they could get out of their local population. So one guy says, you know, I can get 20,000 sesterces. And someone says, I can do 22,000 sesterces. <laughs> and whoever got the biggest bid by guaranteeing the central Roman offices they were going to deliver got the contract. And, of course, they got also the authority to enforce it. Yes. Yeah. Now, what I found interesting when I was reading up about that is that um, so, as Gordon was saying, Rome would sort of estimate how much income it could expect from a certain area, and then it was up to the Publicani to bid on the contract and get that money coming in. But the Publicani would would bid on a certain region, and then they would actually have to pay the state in advance. That's true. That system kicked in, uh, not at the beginning, but yeah, it certainly... It, it came but during the Republic on. time, yes, that was the way they, they, they paid yeah. for things. So, they, they would have to pay it, up, pay it in advance, um, and then they would proceed to collect their taxes... And so what they paid to Rome was essentially a loan, and Rome would actually pay interest back to them. So that's how they ended up making some money off of it. But then, again, let's say that they had put in a bid for 22,000 sesterces in an area, and then they ended up collecting 25,000. Well, then they would just pocket the extra 3,000 sesterces, and then they would collect the interest on the loan that they had paid to the state. That may explain why there is a number of Roman letters that survive despairing letters about tax collectors. <laughs> yeah, it they, hasn't changed in 2000 years. No, exactly. The the, the levels of corruption and the um, cuz it was it was a system that was set up. Now the good thing about the Publicani and this whole system, the reason why it was instituted by the state was that it took the pressure off of the state itself to collect tax. It's the same idea as any kind of uh, government organization nowadays getting a uh, private company to or privatizing any kind of service. You That's know, true. It, it takes was... it takes the pressure off of them. They can just let someone else take care of it. Um, that was that was the idea behind it. But unfortunately, it was a system that did lead to or it presented the opportunity for a lot of corruption. For a yeah. lot of tax evasion, magistrates were making deals with these guys. So okay, well, you know, I'll let you. You know, be a bit rough with the people, and then you give me a portion of what you get out of them. So the idea of kickbacks has been around for a long <laughs> yeah. time. They're basically strong-armed by the mafia before there was the mafia. <laughs> well, in, in the reading that I was able to do and the research I did, I'm going to go back a little earlier into literally the earliest dawn, uh, dawnings of, of human civilization with, like, Sumerians. Mm -hmm. So we're talking around the year 3000 B.C., uh, we recognize that they collected taxes as well. Yeah. And interesting enough, the system wasn't quite where they contracted out to the private sector. They contracted out to, in a sense, the religious sector. So the temples and the ziggurats and all the things that were part of that culture's sort of public buildings, public events, they were religious that were mostly collecting on behalf of the, of the, of the, you know, the emperor or the, the, the king or so in the area. Uh, granted, there was such a much a turnover, there was never a consistent system but it was much more based on religious. But the interesting thing was the amount that they were collecting, the percentage they were collecting, was not that far off from the Romans. It was between okay. one and at most four percent. Okay, yeah. So that that pans out. Yeah, it pans out. It seems like these societies. I mean, we think of today. We have a lot more elaborate government programs that exist to take to take in revenue yeah. compared to what the ancients got as citizens, <laughs> if they got anything at all. Um, <laughs> But generally speaking, the 1% to 4%, 4% usually was in a time of conflict or mm -hmm. some sort of crisis time. Compare that to what is the tax rate. Uh, for example, North America, it runs between uh, 32 and, and 36%. Europeans run in the high 30%. I mean, we realize it's an enormous difference. Now, they did take, and we are aware from even Babylonian records, 
that they did take in consideration your your income level in terms of what you had to pay. So they actually had what they call a sliding system where the rich, richer merchants, because mm-hmm. the, the royalty never really paid. Of course. <laughs> it was part of, part of the, uh, the shtick that they were doing. Yeah. Um, yeah the, if you were a merchant, well-off merchant, you tended to pay a slightly higher percentage because they knew they could shake you down for that. Yeah. Okay. So or guilt you. Oh. Through the religious aspect that you are paying not just a tax, but paying a tithe. Oh, okay. And so we realize the word tithe doesn't really exist in our culture today. No, not really. That's a religious tax. Mm-hmm. A tax to keep the temples going and keep the priests fed and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, it's still remarkable that the actual percentage we see in the historical record, with just a few exceptions, was really never more than about 5%. That is interesting because I, I mentioned that uh, I did some research on China, and I'll I'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, you know, spoiler alert, because um, what I what I found in China was that in ancient China, sorry, that it was around the same. Actually, it usually was between one and three percent. So it's interesting how that number in three very distinct, very different cultures, but roughly around the same time. Uh, it, that kept on coming up, that it was that consistent across the board. Yeah, because they must have figured out that based on their economic productivity, mm-hmm. anything more than that would cause insurrection yeah, within the societies. Yeah. Remember, many of these societies were multilinguistic. They had different cultural backgrounds. They didn't want to necessarily create those divisions. It was bad enough that they were dealing with you know, military conquests they needed to pay for. Um, but... Taxes have literally existed from the very first dawn of the very first cities. Yeah. Whether it was in Samaria, whether it was in Egypt, or whether it was in China. Uh, yeah. They, they, it's funny. Human beings have figured out we've got to pay for something. Yeah. Well, and that, it does make perfect sense because you would imagine, as I said at the very beginning of this, um, this recording, that taxes nowadays, they exist to provide income for the government, but also to provide social services for people. So in Canada, we have our health care, and we've got emergency, emergency services, and that's true. ABCD. There's all kinds of stuff that are paid for using our taxes. So even way back then in, in Bronze Age Samaria, the same thing could be would be true, because the people, as soon as people started organizing themselves to live in settled cities, in urban areas there would be that expectation of services rendered and services have to be paid for. So protection by the state, for example, uh, against foreign invaders or against incursions, rebellions, what have you. Or building projects. Actually, yeah, that's a really good example. Building projects. How do you pay for that kind of thing? Well, many of the very early building projects were of religious uh, uh, purpose. Yeah. That's why the reason why there is a distinction between a tithe and a tax. Oh, okay. And we have to realize that it doesn't really exist in our culture today, although there are people who contribute to their local religious organization or affiliation, mm-hmm. but it's not an official tax of the state. Okay. I and mean, we forget that, particularly here in North America we, in Europe, we don't see it that way. Um, yeah, there's where the division happened because, of course, uh, you know, rulers were considered divinely appointed, therefore they could appeal and demand from the public to pay their dues because they're paying the gods. Oh, okay. Yeah, huh. interesting okay. twist. We don't have to deal with that quite these days. Yeah, things. exactly. So, but that, that's an interesting difference between the, the tithe and the tax, though. That's, uh, yeah, the fact that tithe, like you said, doesn't really exist in our modern lexicon anymore. It's sort of you know, gone cer- away. <laughs> it's certainly one thing that did not seem to appear in the Chinese cultures, that distinction. It was simply you paid to the state. Yes. They were pretty consistent during their history. Now, they came and went... Uh, but you're right. 
Uh, you mentioned about China in terms of some things that are kind of interesting to compare to our world today. Yeah, well, uh, China actually, um, you know, as you would imagine, for so I'm 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 talking about again this sort of bronze bronze age history. So we're looking three thousand, four thousand years ago. Uh, but China was very much an agricultural center. It was all about land taxes, and um, but what was neat is, that, or interesting anyway, is that sometimes the government would impose state monopolies for additional income. So we talk about how the Romans and the Sumerians would raise the the tax rate from one to three percent or one to four percent in times of emergencies or war or war. Yeah, yeah. Uh, China would do the same thing, but they would also institute monopolies. So okay, we're the only ones who are dealing in this commodity now. So that we generate all of the income from it. Uh, so they did that with salt quite often. That was a really, really big one. Uh, but basically anything that they could make money off of, they would impose state um, monopolies in order to degenerate that revenue. Another thing that they also used was the uh, the corvée, which is, it's a French word, but it's something that has been done throughout history. So it's essentially, it's unpaid labor for capital projects. So there would be a percentage of every year. So every year you might have to work for a month on whatever capital building project was going on. My understanding is that that was employed during the construction of the pyramids in Egypt. Yeah, I believe so. Because yeah. it, the thought that it's all a bunch of slaves doing the work doesn't really make sense mm-hmm. in terms of the skilled labor you need to have to actually make it. Yeah, the physical pulling the stones into position, but the fact that there would be architects, there would have been engineers, there would have yeah. been designers as part of that. Stonemasons and whatever. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it was a lot of stuff like that because... Ancient China, they did employ slave labor, but this was separate from that. This was, again, more like you were saying, more like skilled skilled labor. Um, so, but throughout the history of uh, of ancient China, so the Jia Dynasty all the way down to the late Western Han, uh, it would be a percentage of crops that would be given as taxes for the least wealthy people, and there were some progressions and changes over the over the course of history. But one thing I found very interesting was. Of course, if I can just interject, just oh, for yeah, clarification, yeah, for you know, the concept of, the, of a tithe versus a tax is the tithes tended to be, you paid it with material product. Yes. Whereas taxes came in a little later because it required the invention of currency yeah. to make those kind of payments. And mm-hmm. that's why we distinguish the two words. Yeah. But there there were also cases where, um, and this was common in China, in Rome, and uh, across a lot of civilizations, actually, where a lot of people just didn't have a lot of money or a lot of hard currency. So in some in some cases, it would be, like with the Roman publicani, it might be their responsibility to change you know, crops, let's say, or whatever product they're given into currency to then pay it towards the state. So that's how actually once the Publicani started falling out of favor, because once Emperor Augustus came in, he made sweeping tax reforms in order to get rid of the the corruption and try and stymie a lot of that. So the Publicani were much less popular. They they fell into, um, well, it was basically just a, a, a trade or a profession that changed drastically so they but went more the way of money lenders it was less of a freelancing uh, yeah you know uh, uh, guy who was sent out there it was, it was more of an organized profession mm-hmm. because and, and, and true the, the, I mean there was certainly the clarification that there was definitely edicts and communications out to the public whenever there was a shift in taxes surprisingly enough we have several examples especially during the third century when there were so many Roman emperors of constant promises to actually reduce taxes as part of their pitch in order to stay in power. Mm-hmm. That, that, that didn't really happen much before in history. No. Because if you think about it, their taxation rates, generally speaking, in the ancient world were between 1 and, let's say, 5%. Yeah. 
it's a you know it's a different world today. How we relate today is we are dealing with literally ten times the taxation rate mm -hmm. in some cases. But you had a you were talking about a list of the kinds of taxes that people. It <laughs> yeah. is amazing how many taxes you had mentioned, uh, Shane, when we were talking before that. In Rome alone, there was something like 28 different taxes that were applied at different times. Yeah. Marriage taxes, religion taxes, sales taxes, import taxes, slave taxes, yep. uh, state laws where cert when certain events happened, uh, they were going there. By far, the land taxes is the interesting one because it's pretty clear that land taxes were the one where a lot of fiddling around went on. Yeah. And uh, whenever there was need to get uh, get your wealthier sectors to support your political ambitions, you drop the taxes for the wealthy, mm -hmm. and you seem to have magically all these resources to to get your uh, your projects done. Gee, where have we heard yeah, that? Yeah, actually, that, that I I've never heard that before. That's no, very I don't think that's strange. At all. Very unfamiliar. Giving tax breaks <laughs> to the rich. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that. Actually, this whole idea of tax breaks is when I was reading about the ancient Chinese tax systems. I found out that during the the early Western Han period, so we're talking second um, third century BCE, uh, there there were land taxes. Actually, everything dropped drastically, and we're talking from ten percent land tax down to about 3%. Commercial taxes disappeared. State uh, monopolies disappeared. Uh, the corvée, the one that I was mentioning before about the, the, right. the time period for skilled labor, went from one month per year to one month for every three years. Everything just settled right down and slowed right down. And within the Chinese? With, with, yeah, during this 200-year period. And I found out that it was reportedly due to Taoist influences. And the state just took a very laid-back, laissez-faire, like, everything-goes sort of well, attitude they, they certainly, towards taxes. But give a consideration to the Things Chinese. went right back up in the next dynasty. Well, they did, because certainly that period of time was a time of relative peace and tranquility. Yes. We have to always give the Chinese credit that, yes, they had some pretty nasty wars now and then, that mm -hmm. particularly civil wars or dynasty-changing wars that were horrible. But they didn't fight wars all the time as maybe more of the European and Middle Eastern ancient history was where it seemed to be conflicts happening every 10 to 15 years. Because that's more typical for ancient civilizations is maybe nothing on a terribly large scale but constant. Whereas China, Chinese history, it's flipped. It's the other way around. Yeah. Much more longer periods of peace, you'd say, or yeah. a relatively low uh, conflict time. But when they had the conflict... They made up for lost they time. They made up for lost time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's true. So... So I think uh, I'm going to end off here with, I, I while looking up these taxes, I stumbled upon a YouTube video, and I'll put the link up on our uh, social media pages on our website, because I found it very amusing. So it was this this gentleman on YouTube, it's about a five-minute video, when he just talked about some strange taxes that have that, been, that exist today. Well, so, some oh. some exist today. Some have just been implemented over the course of history. So a couple of them, like, uh, this one's no longer in place, but in 1660, England had a tax on fireplaces. And apparently people would try to hide the fact that they have fireplaces, so they'd brick them up, which caused a lot of problems. When oh, they yeah, it would expected. be. Oh, gee whiz, imagine uh, that. That's counterproductive. One of the reasons why wigs went out of fashion was because in 1795, England put a tax on the aromas that people would put on their wigs. <laughs> well, you know, that's a part of the American history. We know that often the story of the uh, Revolutionary War was it was about taxes because... Great Britain was yeah. imposing so much. Taxation without representation. That yeah. whole bit. And the funny thing is, when you actually study it, you find out there was really 
The British tried 13 or 14 <laughs> different taxes and yeah. withdrew them yep. before fully implementing, but the one that they got through <laughs> was a tea tax. <laughs> and that's why you get the, the tea... The Boston Tea Boston Party. Tea party. <laughs> it was a tea tax and it was 3%. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's interesting how taxes get people riled up and there are some things like uh, uh, Germany... In, this is a current one. As of 2002, bribes are no longer tax deductible in Germany. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> but one of my favorite ones is that in the in the United States, uh, now according to the research I've done, this is in place right now, um, you must report property that you have stolen as income on your income tax. Oh, that, yeah. That's, that's, that's a law state. Well, I stole this property and here's my taxes. <laughs> but the best part about that is that is that it's against the constitution to incriminate yourself in sort of in sort of any uh, any kind of criminal activity so they just tell you just to put it as other income on the other income line of your tax form but in Tennessee as of 2005 drug dealers must also put their income from drug sales <laughs> on their income tax and they have to do the same thing <laughs> You know, that's like robbing a bank and handing over identification cards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but just, just so you don't think that we're the only ones who have silly tax laws, in Rome, when Emperor Vespasian was in charge, he instituted a urine tax. Well, that's because they use urine as a, as a treatment to, to uh, finish off leather. Exactly. Well, it was, yeah, it was used in laundering and all kinds of and material. Because Uric acid it, would be a useful product. It, yeah, there is ammonia in there, which is a common cleaning agent, so it's, it sounds pretty gross to us then, but it was, it, it, was, it was just basic chemistry, yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. I think we may end up uh, readdressing this issue about taxes because uh, in, a, in a future episode, we hope you catch uh, uh, up for that. Yeah, there's, uh, a, there's a lot to talk about with taxes. Go figure. Well, you've been listening to Ancient Answers. Thank you very much for your time, for listening to us. We will be coming back with another episode coming soon. I am Gordon. And I'm Shane. And we will catch you in the next episode of Ancient Answers. Hi, this is Gordon. Just a quick note. Earlier in the episode, I, I attributed the quote, There's nothing certain in life except death and taxes to Napoleon. My mistake, it's actually Benjamin Franklin.